if you would, take your Bible and turn to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 3, or feel free to take out your phone or, or your tablet or whatever you have to access God's Word this morning. We're going to be looking in the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. The New Testament starts out with four Gospels, four books that tell us about the life and the ministry of Jesus, and then we have the book of Acts that tells us about what the church was doing after the time that that Jesus lived on earth and then ascended back into heaven. And so we are walking through the book of Acts together on Sunday morning, trying to do one chapter at a time. And so what we've been trying to do as a church is read ahead. In other words, don't be surprised about what the passage is going to be about on Sunday morning. This week we're doing Acts chapter 3. So sometime this week, read Acts chapter 4, and we will be looking at Acts chapter 4 next Sunday morning. If you have not had a chance to pick up one of our oversized bookmarks, we have these available on the tables as you exit, and you can pick these up and follow along with us and and work through the, the memory verses that we're working on as a church. We'd love for you to be able to take one of these. Also, if you did not receive one when you came in, we have prayer guides for this week for Vacation Bible School. And if there is ever a time to come together as a church and to pray for God's work in our church, to pray for God's work in our children and in our families and our teachers, this is the week that that we want you to come together and do that. And so we have these prayer guides on the tables if you did not receive one as you were, were coming in. And we'd love for you to join us in prayer this week. Let's look at Acts chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 10 as a way to get started, but ultimately we'll try to look at at most of the chapter as we go through here. But let me read from, I'm reading from the New International Version, but feel free to to follow along in whatever version you have available or just listen as, as we go through these verses. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts that shows us what it looks like for your spirit to move among your people as your hope and your power and your healing are established in this world as your kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And God, help us to understand this morning what it is for you to bring healing, for what it is, what it looks like for you to work through your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
On the back of your worship guide that, that you hopefully got as you were coming in, there are a few notes to follow along with as we look at this passage. And, and what we're trying to do this morning is just understand what does it mean for God's Spirit to work among God's people. As you're reading through the book of Acts, one question that you can ask yourself over and over again is what does it look like for God's Spirit to show up? What happens when God's Spirit begins to move among God's people and begins to move in the world? And what this passage shows us this morning is that when God's Spirit begins to work, when God's Spirit begins to move, He will work through God's people in such a way that neglected people, people who are easily pushed to the side, will find healing and will find hope. And because of that, worship will happen and the gospel will spread. That's kind of the big picture. And that statement in in a nutshell is on on your notes there, but it's kind of the big picture of Acts chapter 3. And we just want to walk through it a, a piece at a time this morning. Here's the first thing I want you to know. When God's Spirit begins to work in the world, it's not this abstract idea. It's not this, if I was super spiritual, then maybe I would know what you're talking about, preacher. It's the fact that when God's Spirit begins to work in the world, He works through normal people in everyday experiences. When it says here in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now we could read that verse and think that this was some special occasion for Peter and John. But if you have your Bible open and you can look at the end of Acts chapter 2 in verse 46, so you may have to scroll up on your phone or or just turn a page back in your Bible. Acts chapter 2 verse 46 says that every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So they weren't on visitation on Sunday afternoon. They weren't a part of a special program. What they were doing here in Acts chapter 3 verse 1 when it says they were going up to the temple courts, this is something they did every day. And sometimes we think in our lives, you know what, if I didn't have this job, or if I wasn't in this situation in life, or if my kids were out of the house, or my kids were back in the house, or we have all these scenarios that if this happened in my life, then God could really use me. But what we have to realize is God uses his people in the everyday experiences of life. The job that you have, the family that you have, the place that you live, what you do on an everyday sort of day is exactly the situation that God wants to work through. Never get at this idea in your mind that if I was more religious, or if I was more spiritual, or if my life was somehow different, then God would really work through me. The only prerequisites to God working in our life is that we are available and we are obedient. And if every day of your life, and whatever your life looks like, you are available and you are obedient, God will work through you. Back in the end of the, the book of Matthew, in Matthew 28, there's a passage that talks about go and make disciples of all nations. It sounds in that passage like go means I have to leave where I am to be involved in God's work, to make disciples. But that passage, go and make disciples, is really more like as you go, make disciples. As you live life, as you do whatever God calls you to do, Make disciples. In other words, allow God to work through you. 
So think about this just for a minute before we move too fast. Think about what a normal day looks like for you. You wake up, sort of, kind of. Some people, you know, wake up really well. And some people wake up really badly. Um, But however you wake up, you wake up, you go to work, you take care of your family, maybe you go and care for other people, maybe you go to the gym, maybe you think about going to the gym, maybe whatever it looks like in your life, what does a day look like? And then we have to think about, what does it look like for God to work through my life in those moments? Look at something that happens to Peter and John here as God works through lives. Now a man, verse 2, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. This is something this guy did all the time. Verse 4, he, or Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now in verses 4 and 5, and anytime we read the Bible, one of those good skills for reading the Bible is look for ideas that are repeated, look for words that are repeated. In verses 4 and 5, you get this idea of looking, of using your eyes, of paying attention, of seeing something. One of the main things we have to do to allow God to work through our lives is to pay attention to people, to look at people. You've been at those situations. Maybe you go to New Orleans, or maybe you go to the mall, or maybe you go just to the grocery store or someplace, and you can see that person coming who you know is going to ask you for money. You you know, you can see the person coming from 50 feet away, and for some reason, they have their eyes on you. Uh, Amanda and I laugh about this because Amanda, my wife, has an incredible ability to attract awkward conversations and weird people into her life. You know, I, I go out to, we, we go out into the world as, as a multiracial, multiethnic family. You know, our, our youngest daughter is, is black. And so we don't think about that on a daily basis because it's just the reality of our family. But, but we go out to places and Amanda has this incredible magnetism for weird people and, and weird conversations. And, and she can see them coming. And, and she tries to run away, but it, it just doesn't work. Like, they're just drawn to her. And so she comes home and she says, you'll never guess what happened to me at the store today. You'll never guess what this person said and, and things like that. There's the reality that when we're around people and we think, oh no, that person is coming after me, what do you do? You look away. Whatever you do, you don't make eye contact. Because the moment you make eye contact, it's all over. You know that person is coming to ask you for money. Or you know that person is coming to you. There's no way you're going to get away from it. But what does Peter and John do right here? It says they looked straight at the man. They didn't bounce their eyes. They didn't look in another direction. They looked and said, pay attention to us. There is a powerful effect that comes from making eye contact with people who everybody else neglects. Think about this man. He's sitting there asking for money constantly every day. Most people are either going to throw him money by never looking at him, or they're going to walk straight past him. But think about the effect on this man's life that someone slows down and looks at him, makes eye contact with him. 
We were in New Orleans one time and walking down St. Charles and there was a lady off to the side who was mumbling to herself and in a wheelchair and in very difficult situations. And people were just walking past her, me included. And we get a block down the road and I can't find my wife. And I'm thinking, oh no, you know, where's she gone? And I turned around and she stopped just to talk to this lady. Everybody else walking past And she slows down to talk to this lady that everybody else neglects. Think about your life. Who do you hate to make eye contact with? Who do you see coming in life and you say, oh, Lord, don't let them look at me. Or don't make me look at them. This week, make an effort to be used by God to make eye contact with those people. To look and say, everybody else might look past you. Everybody else might neglect you, but I will stop, and I will pay attention to you. I will look you in the eye. Now, granted, there, there are certain safety things to keep in mind. You know, the, the, we, we talk about this in, in context, but think about what it means to pay attention to people. And notice what Peter says in verse 6. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. All right, there's a couple of things going on in verse 6. Either, well, there's, I guess there's three options for Peter right here. Either he's lying. He really does have money, but he tells the person he doesn't have money. Or he's the guy that conveniently forgets his wallet when he goes out, and everybody else has to pay because Peter never brings his wallet. Or the third option is he doesn't have money because he's been giving it away. Look back up in Acts chapter 2. If you look, scroll up in your phone or turn back in your Bible, it says in verse 45, Acts chapter 2, verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. There's a possibility here that Peter and John are telling the truth. In fact, they probably are. They don't have silver and gold because they've already given it away. They've given it up for the ministry of the church, and so they have no more silver and gold to give. But Peter says, I can do more for you than that. I can give you more than money in this situation. And don't we have to be careful about that? Isn't it so easy to throw money at a situation so it will go away? If if I just throw money at this person, maybe they'll go away. Or if I just give money, it means I don't have to get personally involved in the situation. And let's be very careful because sometimes we do this in church. We think about ministry in the church and we think about missions and we think about serving. And there's a temptation to say, I don't really do any of that because I give money toward those things. But there's a problem with that because giving money can become very impersonal and it turns people into projects. Never treat a person as a project. We always treat people as people. And it never works that we just throw money at a person so that they'll get out of our life. That there is more than giving money. There may be something really significant going on here. There's this gate that the man is sitting at. And it says it's called the beautiful gate. Or or the gate called beautiful. Around the city of Jerusalem are multiple gates. And so scholars aren't certain which gate this man was sitting at. There's a little bit of, of confusion. But most of the gates there, most of the gates around the city of Jerusalem 
were covered in either silver or gold. They were overlaid with kind of this, this outer layer of silver or gold. But there was one gate that was made out of this beautiful bronze. It was called the Corinthian Gate or the Corinthian Bronze Gate. It was the one gate that was not overlaid with silver and gold because it was so beautiful. They, it didn't want to take away from its look. And if this man, and he very likely was sitting in front of this gate, if this man was sitting in front of this gate, Luke may be telling us something in this story. He may be saying, just like you wouldn't cover this beautiful gate with silver and gold, Peter and John aren't going to use silver and gold as just a covering for this man's life. They're going to see the beauty in this man's life. They're going to stop and they're paying attention because there's something going on here that if they use silver and gold, it would actually obscure the beauty of what God wants to do in this situation. And so Peter speaks into his life, and instead of giving him money, he gives him what? Healing. He heals the man. Now, when God works through his people to bring healing, we've got to slow down and talk about this for just a second. Because this can create incredible confusion in, in the church. There are certain religious groups that, that will emphasize miraculous healings. And there are other religious groups that will say that miracles don't happen anymore. That was a thing of the past. We don't live in that world. And so you end up with these two extremes. Everybody gets a miracle, especially if you give my ministry the right amount of money. And miracles no longer exist. And we find ourselves torn between these two. Do, does God still make it possible where people who can't walk are able to walk? Does that, does that still exist in our world? And this is a very complex, very difficult, and very sensitive topic. Here's one thing that I've tried to do. If you go to our church's website, which is www.fbcbsl.com, and along the top there are different, different links. One is called Resources. Under Resources... I've provided you with a document that talks about what the Bible says about sickness or healing because I knew that this morning we wouldn't have enough time to to do that topic justice. If you don't have access to the internet, if you don't have a computer or a printer or something like that, we will get you a copy of this. But if you have questions about what the Bible says about healing, should I go to a faith healer? What does God, does God still do miracles today? Why do people get sick? These are questions we deal with. You may have family members or friends who tell you, if you just had more faith, God would really heal you. You just don't have enough faith, and so God's not healing you. What does the Bible say about that? We've got a lot of verses on there, a lot of things to kind of guide you through. And so if you need a place to go or you need to send a family or friend, know that that's available there on, on our website. But the point here is that God works through Peter and John to bring healing, to do something that this man could never do for himself. And what's the result of that? Look down in verse 7. What happens after this healing comes into this man's life? It says, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, 
and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, here's something we have to understand to make sense of, of this phrase right here. When it says that this man was walking and leaping and praising God, when it says that he was sitting next to the gate, it doesn't just mean that that was a good place to raise money. It wasn't like the off-ramp on the interstate, that it just happened to be a really good place to stand and raise money. The reason that this man was there is because he was not allowed to go into the temple to participate in worship. Because his legs did not work, because he had this physical problem, he was prohibited from worshiping. He was prohibited from going in to the temple. Imagine if your disability, if your sickness prevented you from coming here this morning to worship. Like, we had greeters and ushers who were out there and said, looks like you're limping a little bit this morning. Sorry, you're not coming in here. You're not going to be a part of, of this worship. Or, I saw you cough as you were walking up. Sorry, not going to happen this morning. You've got to go. Now, granted, there are times that maybe you do need to stay home when you're sick. Don't forget that, okay? Just, you know, don't, don't misunderstand my point here. But, but there may be times you need to stay home. But the point here is this man had not only never walked, he had never worshipped either. And it, when it says that he was healed and he was walking and leaping and praising God, that's a reference back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 6, talks about when God's Spirit comes, when God sends the Messiah, the Rescuer, that people will leap like a deer. They will be so excited. And Luke is using on purpose here a word for leaping because he wants his audience to know that, guess what? God's Spirit has come. And guess what? The Messiah, the Rescuer, has shown up. And God is going to work to bring healing in people's lives. And when that happens, people leap like a deer. Now, I realize we're in a Baptist church, okay? So we don't do a lot of leaping. We don't do a lot of jumping. We don't do that, you know, a lot of, a lot of that. But the point is that when God rescues you, when God heals you, when God brings restoration into your life, the result of that should always be worship. Wholehearted, overflowing, there's no way you can stop me worship. Because God has done something in my life that I could never do for myself. And so we have to be careful that we don't become so reserved in our worship, so routine in our worship, that we miss what it is for God to heal someone so much that they literally start jumping up and down. Because the book of Isaiah says that when God's Spirit moves, that's exactly what will happen, that we will overflow with worship. And when people start jumping up and down because God has healed them, Guess what? People pay attention to that. In verse 11, it says, at the very end of verse 11, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them. And so in verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Verse 12, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? In other words, don't you know the book of Isaiah? Why do you stare, as, stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? And then look down at verse 16. It says, By faith in the name of Jesus, 
This man whom you see and know was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. When people's lives are changed, when people are healed, when people are restored, everyone wants to know, how did that happen? Why did that happen? And Peter makes it very clear, this is nothing that we did. We don't get the credit for this happening. It's only Jesus that made this happen. The interesting thing about this healing story in Acts chapter 3 is that if you look back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a paralytic, heals a lame man in Luke chapter 5. And the story is almost exactly identical to this one in Acts chapter 3. And then if you turn over to Acts chapter 14, Paul is used by God to heal a paralytic. And it's almost the exact story as Acts chapter 3. And so Luke 5, Jesus heals someone. Acts 3, Peter heals someone. Acts 14, Paul heals someone. The only differences in those stories is that when Peter and Paul do the healing, you know how they have to do it? They have to call on the name of Jesus. When Jesus does the healing, you know how he does it? He says, stand up and walk. He heals on his own authority, by his own power. Peter and Paul recognize that their work is only through the power of Jesus. It's only because of Jesus. And we always have to be careful of that. If God works through you, to touch somebody else's life, it's God who did that, not you. If God works through our church to heal somebody's life, it's God who did that, not us who get the credit for it. And so we always need to be cautious that we understand why these things happen and what the response should be. Last verse we're going to look at this morning. What is the response? Down in verse 19, Peter says, Repent then, And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Peter tells them, if you're so amazed at this man being able to walk, there's something else that needs to happen. You need to repent in your own life. Turn from your sins. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from your rebellion against God. Turn to God and you will find restoration And you will find healing even greater than what this man found when he was able to walk again. God will give you new life. When we look at a story like this, especially in the book of Acts, we have to be very careful about something. Have you ever run out of gas in your vehicle going down the road? Now this is Father's Day, and there's nothing worse for a man, for a dad, a husband, to run out of gas going down, down the road. Uh, we, we got a Honda Odyssey, uh, which means a minivan, which means my wife drives a minivan, which means my wife break, breaks promises because she said she would never drive a minivan, but she does now, and so we're living in the world of the minivan, which is a very big step for, for our family. But we have this Honda Odyssey, and most vehicles, when you're about to run out of gas, guess what you get? You get a beeping noise. Guess what you get in our vehicle? A little light, a little bitty yellow light down there in the corner of your, of your dashboard. No beep, just a light. And so about nine months ago, we were driving down the interstate in, in New Orleans and realized quickly that I'd made a mistake and we were out of gas and so I had to pull over on, on the side of the road and 
didn't have any way, obviously, to get the, uh, the vehicle restarted. You know what you have to do in a time like that? You have to call for help. Do you know how good we are at calling for help? Not good at all. Like, as a dad and as a husband in that moment, you think, I can fix this. Some way, I'm going to make this car start without calling for help. And it's just not going to happen. In fact, that night, my family lost about 30 minutes of our life because I was trying to figure out a way to fix the situation without just calling somebody for, for help. When you are stranded, when you can't go anywhere, you need help that you cannot provide for yourself. When we look at this story in the book of Acts, so badly, I want to see myself as Peter. Here I come, this person's in help. I look at them, I say, you know what, I don't have any money, but I can tell you about Jesus and your life is going to be restored. You know who I don't want to see myself as? The crippled man. But before we can ever see ourselves as Peter, we have to first see ourselves as this crippled man to sit there on the side of the road and to need something that you cannot provide for yourself. To know that you are sitting there out of gas, can't walk, can't drive, can't move, can't fix your situation, unless someone shows up to help you, there's no way you're getting out of this. And that's where we are without the Lord. And before we can ever be Peter and ever be used by God to serve someone else, We have to know what it is to experience God's restoration in our own lives. To experience God's healing in our own lives. Because when we've been healed, when we've been forgiven, when we've been restored, then we're in position to be Peter. To come along and be used by the Lord. And so as you think about your situation this morning, what does it look like to be that crippled man? Have you ever had that experience when you realized, I can't fix my own situation, only God can do that. And I have to repent, and I have to find salvation in Him. And if you have, are you being Peter? Are you being used by the Lord to minister to others, to pay attention to people, to speak to them, to not throw money at the situation, but to let them know that there is hope in Christ? Here in a second, we're going to sing a really well-known hymn about Have Thine Own Way, Lord. As we're singing, think in your life. What does it look like for me to be that crippled man and experience God's work in my life? And what does it look like for me to be Peter this week? To be used by God to minister to those around me. When God's Spirit moves, He will work through God's people to bring healing so that worship will happen and the gospel will spread. Let's be part of that work. Let's be part of that process. God, we thank you for your word.